At least you didn't call me his hot wife this time. That's good. No, 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 no. Good morning, you guys. How are you guys doing? Good. It's good to see you guys. So we are um, continuing our series on parables. And this parable that we're looking at is the wedding feast, wedding banquet. And it's found in Matthew 22, 1 through 14. There's another version of it in Luke. Um, but the one that we're looking at in Matthew is probably the same story, but this one is a lot harsher, and you'll see why as we get into the text. Uh, let's go ahead and read that. Can we pull it up on the screen? So this is Matthew 22, 1 through 14. And also, real quick, just for context, in verse 1 it says, Jesus spoke to them. Now, last time when it said them, do you remember who Jesus was speaking to? What was his parable? Who was directing it? His disciples. Completely different audience this time. Jesus is not speaking to his disciples. He is speaking to the Pharisees. And the first, the, the couple of chapters preceding Matthew 22, Jesus and the Pharisees just keep, they, they just keep getting into it, you know? And they are entrenched in their way of doing things, which is the law. And they're like, the law is the way to go. And Jesus comes along, he's like, no, 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 no. Uh, we're not doing that anymore. I got a better plan. And they're like, well, who are you to do that? He's like, well, I'm God. I created everything, including the law. And I say, this is the better way. And so they're like, okay, carpenter boy, we are the religious elite. We know what's up. We know what's good. And so, that, so that's just kind of the context. So they are enmeshed, Jesus and the Pharisees, and they keep trying to trip him up in public because they're like, oh, but do you know this law? Do you know this? And he just, they, they're, so they're, he's like, it's not about the law. It's not about the rules. It's about relationship. And on top of it, Jesus is like, it's not just for the Jewish people. Everybody has an invitation. Okay, so that's just kind of the context for you guys so that you understand so, because this is one of the harsher parables. When you read it, when we read it, I was studying for it. I'm like, dang, this is awkward. <laughs> like, wow. Wow, this is tough. Also, the audience group, Matthew, was, he wrote primarily to, to the Jewish people, okay? So, it is got, it is, it's, out of all the Gospels, it's got uh, like 52 or 56 references, Old Testament references. It's got like 262 Jewish phraseology or Jewish phrases in it. None of the other Gospels have that, just Matthew. So the audience for this is specifically the Jews and then the Pharisees. Okay, so that's important as we read it. All right, let's read it together. I mean, I'll read it and you guys can follow. <laughs> all right, Jesus spoke to them the Pharisees, again in parables, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle have been butchered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But 
They paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army, this is the awkward part, he sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Verse 8, then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went to the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the, came to, when the king came to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Verse 13. And this is another harsh part. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside. Into the darkness there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Verse 14. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Okay, aren't you glad we don't have a dress code here? Can you imagine? Oh, sorry. You're wearing a Hawaiian shirt outside. All right, so, so, so there is a lot going on here, and we need to unpack it first before we understand it, because this, I just, I mean, let's just be honest. Raise your hand if you thought it was kind of harsh, right? Like, it's just, it's like there's, kill, the king is killing, and he, somebody gets busted and tossed out because he doesn't have the right wedding attire. What's up with that? All right, well, let's get into the text here. So there's a couple layers and there's a couple of different audience groups. The wedding banquet, obviously, in the immediate context that this king, who is representative of God the Father, that's another thing. Matthew rarely uses God. He's always referring to the king or another name because, remember, for the Jews, you didn't utter the name of God. It was too sacred. So the king is representative of the kingdom of God. Okay? Now, this banquet that he's having is referring to end times when we're all up in heaven with Jesus hanging out, right? And we get to go to heaven and hang out, and it's going to be wonderful. I don't think we'll be playing harps, bouncing on clouds. I think we're going to be just, it'll be wonderful. We'll get to eat all the time and never gain weight. It'll be fabulous. <laughs> all right. So, now that's kind of the immediate context. And he is speaking to the Pharisees. And he's like, you guys, this is why he's so harsh and the language is so harsh. He's like, you guys blew it. You were the chosen people. And through you, this message of hope, you were, I, was, I tapped you to, to spread this message of hope. But you guys, and specifically too, he's referring to the religious leaders of the day. He's like, you got so caught up in your rules, in your laws, you missed the point of it. How many of you guys have uh, recently taken a gander or looked at Levit Leviticus recently? It is, <laughs> my husband has. I wonder why, honey. You <laughs> um, it is all about do this, don't do this. When you sit down and you get ready to eat your food, have your cup at this angle. It's all very, like, set, okay? Now, and, and Deuteronomy 2. All that, though, is because God was saying, you are my people, we have entered into a covenant relationship. You belong to me. I belong to you. And all the rules and all the, you know, you got to wash your hands ten times before you eat or 
five times before you, I don't know, whatever, scratch your head. All those rules were to help differentiate the people, the, the Israelites, and to set them aside as being God's special people. Okay? So it was about, it's always been about relationship from the very beginning. Now, so it gets down to the Pharisees, and they're like, we're doing a good job. We're abiding. We, we know the rules. We've memorized them. We can recite them in our sleep. We have following the rules and observing all the laws down to a science. Now, let's look at the text a little bit. I'll stop gabbing so much. So, he's, Jesus is addressing this parable to the, the, um, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. And now, what's interesting, too, is a couple chapters later, Jesus gets arrested. So, this is kind of close to the, the, just the, the climax of this. He gets arrested, and they crucify him. So, the tension is really building between Jesus and the Pharisees. And they are becoming, the Pharisees are becoming more entrenched in their ways. And so, let's look at this first group of invited guests in verse 3. Okay, so this king sends his servants out. Now, what's interesting to note is to those who had been invited to the banquet. Well, guess what? It wasn't like the servants were coming and they were giving the invitations to these people. And they're like, oh, a party. We get to go to a party. Here's the deal. They had already RSVP'd this first wave of people, okay? They had already RSVP'd and said, yes, we will be coming to this lavish wedding banquet. We're coming. It's great. We send it back. We're coming. Now, in verse 3, when the servants come out, they're like, hey, it's more of like a reminder. The party will be starting shortly. We'll look forward to seeing you there. So it's not like this is the first, you know, invite, and they're like, oh, we have a party today. No, it's been on the books for a while. They've already RSVP'd, this first group. Now, how do they respond? Verse 4. Okay, then he sent more servants. Okay, what do they do? They paid no attention, verse 5. They paid no attention and went off. What do they do? One to his field, another to his business. So let's put our, let's just say we're, we're here. We're, okay, and we got invited to a wedding, right? We RSVP, and it's like a lavish wedding. Can we get that picture up, please, of that lavish wedding? Not the Kate and... Not that one, the next one. So I don't know about you guys, but I would, <laughs> I, um, I like to watch these shows called Platinum Weddings. <laughs> and these people blow like a million bucks, 2.5 million. I think this wedding, I think I was reading, it was like, this one was like $2.3 million, right? There's no expense spared, okay? So this is the kind of wedding that we're reading about in here. It is a lavish affair. There's been, you know, no expense spared. They've got this fatted calf. It's decked out in beautiful, beautiful settings, amazing food, entertainment, servants everywhere. And all these people have RSVP'd and said, yes, we will be coming. And then as the servants come out and say, guess what? It's okay. Party time's almost here. They're like, ah, you know what? I got to wash my hair. Okay, when it says that in uh, 5, the one has to go off to his field and another to his business. That is our modern-day equivalent of turning down a wedding invitation that we've already said yes to. 
and saying, you know what, I'm going to stay home and wash my car, or I got laundry, or I got to wash my hair. I remember, this didn't happen very often, but when I was dating, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, there were guys that, I, that liked me and I didn't like them, they'd be like, let's hang out, and I'd be like, oh, I, I, got, a, I got lots of laundry I have to do. I really did use that excuse. But it was like, that was like the lamest excuse, right? And that's kind of what's going on here. This first wave of people that have been invited. They can't even manufacture a better excuse. They're just like, uh, I got to wash my cart, my chariot. I got I to gotta pick out fabric for the new drapes in the atrium. They're not even trying to make up good excuses. There's just an indifference on, on their part. This group of people are the Pharisees. And this is talking about Jesus's, God's invitation to them as the chosen people. And they're like, you know, I'm not interested. Sorry. I got better stuff to do. I got my laws to follow. And what we see here, knowledge is no substitute for intimacy. And this is what the Pharisees are trying to do. And this is why there is such a divide between Jesus and the Pharisees. Because Jesus is like, I'm about relationship. I am about intimacy. And they're like, no, 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 we don't need that. Why would you want to do that? We've got our laws. We've got our books. We're good. We know everything about that intimacy stuff. And Jesus is like, no, 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 you can't substitute one for the other. It doesn't work like that. Pastor Josh had done this well, a couple years ago. Remember he made that book? It said... <laughs> Dummy's Guide to Mako. <laughs> He's like, I can read this and think and read about it and know all these facts about Mako. She likes coffee and she loves shoe shopping. Didn't like to get up in the morning. Remember? And he, but he's like, this is not a substitute for knowing her and having a relationship with her. And that's what Jesus is getting at here with the Pharisees. All right. So, now what happens is, in verse 6, so some of them are like, oh, i got to wash my hair. I'm not coming to the banquet. But in verse 6, what do some of them do? With the servants that come, they capture them, and they basically torment them, they torture them, and then they kill them. That part is referring to all of the prophets that God had sent to the Israelites. It was like, hey, Israelites, you better clean your junk up, you're going astray, what you doing? And they're like, we don't like your message, we're going to kill you. <laughs> There's a ton of verses about how the Jews killed the prophets that Jesus or God would send to them. Maybe like, wake up, hello. Okay, so that's what this is referring to. But it's also a rejection of God's grace is what it is. Because when God in the Old Testament was sending his prophets out, to the Israelites, and they were going amok. It was his attempt to draw them back in. It was his grace. He was extending grace to them and saying, let's restore this relationship. Let's restore this. And they're like, no thanks, we're good, we got it. We're going to kill your messenger, which was essentially a rejection of God. And that's kind of what we see here, too, with the wedding banquet thing. All right. Now, let's look at this, verse 9. So, okay, so 
the, the, some of the servants that did survive come back to the king, right? And they're like, so most of us got killed, and we don't have anybody coming to the wedding. So what do you want us to do? And the king's like, I'll tell you what. Let's skip the people that were on the guest list. I'm going to send you out to the crossroads. And you're going to go to the street corners, and you're just going to invite people. You're like, hey, you want to come to a great party? There's great food, entertainment. You're going to love it. So his servants that have survived, they go out, and they start grabbing anybody. And they're like, hey, come to this great party. Now, what's interesting is, and it doesn't come across here, but in the Greek, the idea is these are crossroads. They're trade crossroads, commerce crossroads. So you're getting an an influx of all kinds of people, like different cultures, different ethnicities, different types of merchants, you're getting slaves, you're getting the heads of households, you're getting all kinds of people that are coming into these crossroads and they're buying and they're selling. It's like a town market. And these servants are trying to grab anybody. They're like, hey, you want to come to this party? Come to this party. Okay. So everybody, they get, now what's interesting here is verse 10. What does it say? So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find. What kind of people? Good and bad. This is representative of the Gentiles. Because the king is like, you know what? I'm done dealing with the Jews. I am, they have missed their opportunity. I am opening this to everybody. You don't just have to be a good rule follower. I'm taking anybody and everybody, okay? Now, verse 11. So that everybody comes in and they're, they, they're, you know, they're filled with strangers, the Gentiles, right? And the king walks in to the celebration and he walks up to this one guy who he notices is not dressed in wet, proper wedding attire. Now when you read this at first, you're like, that's kind of harsh. Well, what were they doing when they got invited? They were out doing their business, right? They were buying groceries or buying drapes and buying fabric or lumber, So they probably, all of the people that were invited that came to the wedding were not going to a wedding. So they were, they would not be in their appropriate attire, wedding attire, right? So there's, so you look at this and you go, what's up? Why is the king so harsh? Here's the deal. In this culture, it was customary when there was an affair, like an event of this stature, that the host would provide appropriate attire, So all these people that were invited, you know, let's say you had a farmer that was out there and he's trying to buy more seed and he's got his grubby farming tunic on, right? Well, when he would come to the host's house, the king's house, the servants would be like, here's your wedding attire. We'll see you in the dining room shortly. Everybody got appropriate attire. They were all given the opportunity to put it on, except for this man. And this is why, and it's not... So, the, so he had an opportunity to put on this, this uh, wedding uniform or outfit, and he refuses. He's like, no, 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 no. My clothes are good enough. But then when the king comes in, and the king's like, uh, what's up with your uh, outfit? <laughs> How does he respond? Verse 11 or verse 12. He's speechless. And the idea here in the Greek is he's embarrassed. 
He is so embarrassed and he is tongue-tied because he knew he blew it. It's like he got caught with his hand in the cookie jar. You grabbing a cookie? No. This man has been caught essentially with his pants down. He's like, uh. And what's the king's reaction? He has, <laughs> he has his servants tie him hand and foot and they toss him out. Where? Into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is symbolic of hell. Okay, so here's the deal. Let's unpack this some more. Jesus, when, he, when the, the king calls this guy friend, it's obviously a sarcastic. It's like, if we notice, if we look, especially in Matthew, when Jesus is interacting with the Pharisees, he calls, he'll call them friends sometimes. But it's not like a, a warm fuzzy. It's like, it's a sarcastic. It's like, let's, let's, let's do this. Let's get this figured out. All right, now, when this man refuses to put on the appropriate wedding attire that has been supplied by his gracious host, he is rejecting the hospitality of the host. But symbolically, he is rejecting God's grace and his mercy. Do you remember in, uh, I talked about this last week, Genesis 3.21, you remember? Adam and Eve fall, they blow it, right? And they wake up and they're like, oh, we're naked. And they're ashamed of their nakedness, remember? And then God comes into the garden and he's like, hey, what you guys doing? He knows all this. And they're like, well, we, and they, remember, and they, they try and they make outfits out of leaves. And the leaves are falling off of them and tearing and they can't keep themselves clothed. They're trying to clothe their shame and their nakedness. And what does God do in his grace? Remember, he makes clothes for them and he clothes them. And there's sacrifice involved in that. Do you remember that? This is the first, this is the first time that there's sacrifice in the Bible. Because an animal had to be slaughtered and clothing came from that for Adam and Eve. And that's what we've got going on here. God's like, only my mercy, only my grace can clothe you. Wedding guest, you cannot manufacture clothing for yourself. It will be ill-fitting. It'll fall off. It won't work. Only my grace is sufficient. But more importantly than that, this man has rejected God's grace. And, and, and God is talking to the, the Pharisees, and he's like, you guys rejected my grace. You told, I'm in your midst. I am grace personified. You've rejected me and cast me out and cast me aside. And God, God, God's like, I'm going to keep it real then. You reject my grace. What happens to you? Because you cannot, you cannot follow enough laws. You cannot be pure, ritually pure enough to get yourself to heaven. The only way is through relationship, and that is through me. And the just result is that you'll be cast down to hell. So Jesus is not mincing words here with the Pharisees and the group of people that are listening. He's not playing. He's like, this is not a warm, fuzzy bedtime story. This is what's at stake. 
the part that I love about this too is, is God's heart. He wants relationship. In this culture, when you sat down with somebody and enjoyed a meal, it's not like us where we're just like, oh, let's run down to Legends and we'll eat. We'll, let's grab a bite together. You were building strategic bonds and you were saying, I accept you. And I embrace you into my life. It wasn't just let's grab a quick bite. Let's do a business meeting over a meal. There is intimacy and relationship involved when you sat down at a banquet table with somebody else. And so the good king here is saying, I want you to enjoy this food with me. Enter into relationship with me. Let's eat together. Let's have fellowship together. And these people, this man specifically rejects God. He's like, I don't want intimacy. I don't want relationship. Here's something else that's interesting. So these people, this initial, this first group of people that got invited, right? They RSVP and they're still like, yes, I'm going to come, right? So they get the invite. They've RSVP. They probably have it on their fridge at home on, okay, we got this, this thing to go to. Okay, we're going to do it, right? And then there's the second group of people, remember, that come out from the, the street. And so they come and they show up. And then there's this guy who actually interacts with the king, right? He's at the party. He's probably had a few bites, watched some of the entertainment. But here's the deal. None of these people have entered into relationship with the king. It's like they're just there. You can get an invitation from God. You can come to church. You can even do weekly Bible studies. You can go to the food bank. You can go to a convalescent home. You can pick up poop in your neighbor's backyard from the dog. You can do all these things, but if you don't have relationship, it doesn't count. Let me read you this verse. It's Matthew 23, 37. And I, this is why, this is why God, or the good king in this story, is just so upset because he's been rejected, because he's a God of relationship. And he seeks intimacy with us. And this is Matthew 23, 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. I just think this is so poignant. This shows a father's heart. Um, Friday night I went uh, with a friend and we went to Pasadena International House of Prayer at this conference. And one of the guys that spoke there was Sean Bowles. And he, he's, like a, he's like a prophet, but he's super down to earth and very practical. And so he was in this um, Latin American country that bordered another Latin American country that we did not have good relationships with. And there was a dictator who was ruling this Latin American country. Okay, but he, so he's in the safe Latin American country, and he's just in the bush, and he's ministering. He's holding 
a little Bible study for um, pastors that live there, local pastors, okay? And one of the guys in this pastor's group comes up to him and is like, hey, listen, um, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to come with me tonight, like at midnight, and we're going to go across the border into this, the, uh, the, the hostile Latin American country with a bad dictator, and we're going to go talk to somebody important over there. But you can't bring, you can't tell anybody that you're coming. We have to go under the cover of night, and we might be shot down. And you can't bring any identification. Like, don't bring anything that identifies you as you. And so Sean was like, why would I do that? No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so he's like, I am going to go take a nap. So Sean goes, and he takes a nap. And while he's napping... God speaks to him in a dream about this dictator. And in the dream, there's a, he's like a, he's a father, and he's, he's, he's crying out for this dictator. He's like, come back to me, my son. I love you. Come back to me. So Sean wakes up from the dream, and then he, he, gets, another, he, has another, he gets a phrase, too, in his dream. So he wakes up, and he's like, I, and he goes, and he contacts the pastor that's part of this, and he's like, I really don't want to do this. This does not sound, this is like the beginning of a bad spy movie, except I'm not a spy, like I'm a pastor, and I'm going to probably get locked up or shot down. So I'm not really keen on this, but I feel like, yes, God does want me to do this. So they leave in the cover of night. He has to wake up quietly. Leaves, he leaves his sleeping quarters. They board the helicopter. They have to fly really low, and they land like this palatial estate. And so Sean's like, oh, that's okay, not bad. And they get out, and then they go underground in this maze of tunnels. And it just keeps going and going. He's like, okay, this is creepy. Like if something happens, he's, and the whole time he's like, I'm going to get captured or shot, and nobody's going to know where I am. That's it. I'm done. So finally they emerge into this compound and there's men that are just, they got guns and artillery and all kinds of stuff. And so they usher him with this guy that has brought him. It turns out that the guy that has brought him is the brother-in-law to the dictator, the president of the country. And Sean's like, oh. So they come in there, and um, the brother-in-law's like, oh, this is the guy I wanted you to see, brother-in-law member. And so he comes in, and, and Sean's like, uh, I guess I'll just pray with him maybe to just break the ice. So they start praying, and then the dictator just kind of starts to get a little weepy. So Sean's like, I feel like I have something that I need to share with you and tell you right now. And so he tells him, and I guess something had happened at this dictator's daughter's birthday and he did something to family members that was just unforgivable I think he killed them or something at his daughter's birthday party and every day it'd been like 30 years prior every day for 30 years he'd just been asking God's forgiveness he's like I totally blew it I'm sorry I need forgiveness and so Sean comes in he's like God wants me to let you know he forgives you for what happened at your daughter's birthday party you don't have to keep asking every day. He has already forgiven you. And he loves you and he wants you back. Well, the dictator just dissolves into tears. And so his guards that have got all this, like, heavy artillery, they're just kind of like, 
oh, this is kind of awkward. Like, the dictator's crying. And Sean's like, oh, do I hug him? If I hug him, I might get shot. And then, on top of it, Sean's like, he gives him this phrase that he had had in his dream. And it turns out it was a top secret phrase that they were going to use to invade another country. And the dictator's like, how'd you know about that? And Sean's like, dude, God loves you. And this is proof. God's trying to say, I love you, and I'm interested in the details in your life. And Sean, when he was talking, he was like, my heart was breaking. He's like, this was an evil man that had done evil things, evil things to women and children. And yet, when I had that dream and I woke up the next day to go visit this dictator, God's love for me, for him, was all over me. And my heart was broken because I could feel God just wanting to take this, this guy back in and just say, let's, let's be family again. I love you. I long for fellowship again. I long for communion. And here's the deal. If if God can do that and wants that with an evil dictator, he wants that with everybody. Because God is a God of relationship. And he is a gracious God. He's got the heart of a father. But he's not going to force himself on you. He's not going to force his mercy on you. And here's the deal. We can have God's invitation in hand, right? And we could be like, yeah, I'm going to go to the party. This sounds like fun. Or yes, I RSVP and I'm going to do it. And we can even show up. How many of you guys have gone to family, family functions, right? And you're just like, you're like, I want to be anywhere else but here. Anywhere else but here. Or you go to kids' birthday parties, right? And you're just like, anywhere else but here. If I wasn't a parent, I wouldn't be here. Anywhere else but here, right? And you're just, mentally, you're like in Hawaii or something. Or you're like laying down on your couch like binge-watching Netflix, right? You're just... So that's how we can get with God. Even if we have a relationship with God, we can allow what we do to define who we are instead of who we have a relationship with. God is a God of relationship. It's not a mistake in here that it says, verse 10, who do the servants go out and invite? Both the good and the bad people. And here's the deal. What's interesting? God, and I said this last week, God will take us how we are, where we're at, right? Um, I, I've shared this before, but um, you guys know corn. You've heard of band corn, like just thrasher, hardcore music, right? Okay. And the lead singer, oh, I forgot his name. Anybody help me? Brian Headwelch. Thank you very much. Yes. Okay, so Brian Head Welch was talking about how he kind of had a wake-up call. He was partying. He was doing drugs. Um, he had, like, a ton of jets, houses everywhere. He's living it up. Women everywhere, right? And he just got to the point in his life, something happened. He got a wake-up call, and God was calling him. And so he describes how he's, like, doing a line of Coke and reading out of the book of Matthew, actually. Do a line of Coke, read some more out of the book of Matthew. Did some more Coke. And God let him proceed like that for about a week. And then God said, Brian, I'm a holy God, and you need to make a choice. 
because I'm not going to let you keep mixing the two. You need to pick one side. And he talks about how God's presence, he was just like, I was in the presence of a holy God. And God was asking me to make a choice. And so, and he accepted Christ now, and he does like, he'll go out at his concerts, and he'll pray over people (laughs) as they're in line. That's awesome. Okay, but, so God will take us where we're at in whatever condition we're doing, whatever we're doing, But here's the deal, and this is why he got after this guy who didn't change into the wedding garb. God loves us enough to take us where we're at, but he's like, you can't stay like that. I love you. You are called to be transformed. And you get transformed through relationship. And so I think sometimes what we do is we say, yes, I'm going to show up to the wedding feast. I'm going to show up to the banquet. I'll eat your food, I'll watch the entertainment, but I'm not going to dress like this. I'm not going to fully commit. I'll commit 50% maybe. But that's not how God's grace and mercy works. God wants us to just be like, I need you and I need you completely and I need you in all areas of my life. And the problem with the Pharisees was they, did, they, they were the ones that needed Jesus the most. But they were also the ones that were like, we're good. They didn't recognize it. They were like, we're good. We got it. We don't need anything. We got our rules. We're the holiest of the holies. We're religious leaders. People look up to us. We don't need anything. But in reality, we all are broken, and we need God. We need God's mercy. But we have to come to the place where we recognize that. And we say, we are broken. Even as believers, we say, we are broken, God, and we need your grace in abundance. And guess what? God is like, guess what? I'm ready. And he's like, he's got his front leg front loaded. He's got this big bucket full of grace. He's like, you just have to ask. Ask, I'm going to pour it out on you. But we don't ask because we don't think we have a need. Let's get that Tim Keller quote up. (coughs) Please. Tim Keller, who's this um, pastor in New York, just a great guy. He's got an amazing grasp of the gospel message. He said this, If you want God's grace, all you need is need. All you need is nothing. Because when we realize that we are horribly emaciated and we need only the good food that God can give us, That allows God to come in and say, okay, I got what you need. I am your Abba Father. Have the band and the ushers come up. If you guys take anything home from today, I want you to get that we serve a God who is gracious. He's a father. He has a father's heart. And he's into relationship. He'd he'd rather have you stumble forward, right? Right? Maybe swear occasionally when you drop the hammer on your foot or lose your temp, whatever. As long as you are bowing to him and acknowledging that you have a need, God is going to be a good father and say, I got you. I have what you need. I think a lot of times we think, oh, God has got a, you know, a, a clipboard with all these things. Oh, they blew it again. 
and he checks it off. That's not how God functions. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are the good father, a good king, and you have laid out a banquet for us, God. And um, I just pray that we would want to give back to you out of a thankful heart, out of a place, Lord, of just recognizing that you first loved us and you first reached out to us, and that our tithe is a small way to say we love you and we thank you for all the goodness in our lives. God bless this offering and this worship. Amen. Thank you.